Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that your word is truth. Pray that as we examine your word now, that you would help us to understand and help us to not only understand, but to take to heart what you are revealing to us. Please help us to be people who live by the Spirit, who put to death the deeds of the body, and to rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going to call this sermon Freedom from Death. Uh, it would have been quite neat, freedom from sin, freedom from law, freedom from death. I've decided in the end to call it Life in the Spirit, because I think that's really what the passage focuses on. Last week we saw that um, in Romans 7 that Christ has set us free from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. And in Romans 8 verses 1 to 17, Paul tells us what that new way of the Spirit looks like. What does it mean to belong to the realm of the Spirit? What does it mean to be a person who lives by the Spirit? What does it mean to be a spirit person as opposed to a flesh person? I've got three points. First, spirit people are free in Christ from sin's penalty and power. Spirit people are free in Christ from sin's penalty and power. Verses 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is Romans 1 to 7 in a nutshell, isn't it? Through Christ, God has done what the law could not do. The law can't solve the problem of sin. It only makes it worse. It's like when you use the wrong fire extinguisher on a fire. Have you ever seen those fire safety videos? Maybe uh, that someone has a, like an oil fire in the kitchen and they use water and it just arouses the flames even more. That's what the law does to our sin can't solve the problem. God's law can't justify us from sin because we don't keep God's law. And so it can't free us from the power of sin and enable us to live righteous lives. But in Christ, God has done what the law could not do. Through Christ's death, he condemned sin, so there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he did that so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, so that having been freed from sin, we can display in our lives the standard of righteousness to which the law points. And in verses 5 to 17, he expands on how that happens. So firstly, spirit people are free in Christ from sin's penalty and power. Secondly, spirit people 
have a spirit mindset. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul says the difference between living according to the flesh and living according to the spirit is a difference of mindset. Between a mindset of sin, law, and death on the one hand and a mindset of righteousness, life, and peace on the other hand, it's the difference between a Romans 7, 5 mindset and a Romans 7, 6 mindset. We saw last week that the person in the flesh, even if they want to keep God's law, they can't. Here in Romans 8, verse 8, Paul says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not one of those people who cannot please God. You're not a Romans 7 person, I would say. But as I said last week, even if you take the view that Paul in Romans 7 is talking about his own life as a Christian, don't think that's Paul's complete summary of the Christian life, defeat, powerlessness, slavery to sin. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If you read Romans 7 that way, at least read it with Romans 8. Flesh and spirit in Paul are primarily eschatological terms. They have to do with the old order, the old realm, and the new. And notice that you are either in one or the other. There are no dual citizens when it comes to flesh and spirit. It's true that we still live in the flesh. We still inhabit this world. We still have mortal bodies. We're not yet raised. But here Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And I think the point is that in the flesh here is not about where you live. It's about how you live. It's about which realm you belong to. When I was a theological student at Oak Hill in London, we used to have college students from um, a couple of American uh, colleges come over for a semester as part of their undergraduate program. And they would do some of our units at Oak Hill, and they had a professor who gave them some teaching 
um, that was specific to them, and it was a chance for them to explore London, and um, they had a lot of fun. I think that was why most of them came. Uh, great though Oak Hill is, uh, I think it was the attraction of London that, that brought them to the college. And they were a lot of fun to have around. And I remember as exam time approached, one of those American undergraduates said to me, what do you think is the bare minimum amount of work I need to do to pass this exam? And I must have looked at him with horror because he immediately said, don't think like an Oak Hill student. Answer like you're, and I won't name the college, answer like you're a other college student. You see, he was living at Oak Hill. He was doing Oak Hill subjects. But his mindset belonged to the institution in which he was enrolled. And Paul says, although we live in this world, we actually belong to the world to come. You're in the spirit, not in the flesh. So have a spirit mindset. What does it mean to have a spirit mindset? I think it means lots of things, but I want to focus on one. Do you identify as a sinner, as fleshy? Do you identify as someone who is constantly falling short of God's standards? Do you think you're a disappointment to God? Do you think that God accepts you because of Jesus, but he's not very pleased with you? Or do you identify as a spirit person, as someone who isn't under the condemnation of the law, who's accepted by God, pleasing to him, who is able to live a righteous life in Christ? You and I sin, and we need to confess our sins, but if you're in Christ, your sin does not define you. God does not view you as a sinner. And if you, if you don't believe me, I've got homework for you. Go through the New Testament, skim through, and look at all the ways the New Testament writers describe Christians. Loved by God, holy, sanctified, washed, purified, precious to God. Those who walk by the Spirit. Sinners is what we were. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But not anymore. We still commit sin, but that is not our identity. That is not the realm to which we belong. And if you're thinking, what about 1 Timothy 1.15? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I think in context, Paul's talking about his past life. I'm the foremost example of a sinner saved by Jesus. Jesus saves sinners. But even if you think Paul still identifies as a sinner, isn't it striking that that's probably the verse you were thinking of as a counterexample to what I'm saying? It's not the normal way the New Testament talks about Christians. And one of the reasons that matters is that we tend to make choices in line with how we view ourselves. Back in the 60s, there was a fascinating psychology experiment by Friedman and Fraser. They, they got two experimenters to pretend to be from a road safety organization. And they approached 24 households in, uh, in, in a particular part of California, and they asked the householders if they would display 
in their front yard a massive sign with ugly lettering saying, drive safely. And four out of 24 agreed. That's about 17%. But they also went to another 25 households and asked them the exact same thing. Except that with that group, two weeks previously, a different experimenter, claiming to be from a different road safety organization, had asked if they would display a tiny little sign about seven and a half centimeters square in the window of their home or their car saying, be a safe driver. And in that second group, where a small request was followed two weeks later by a much larger request, 19 out of 25 homes agreed to put the massive ugly side in their front yard. But they also found that they could get nearly half of the householders to display the massive ugly sign if instead of asking them to display a small road safety sign, they got them to sign a petition saying, keep California beautiful, so not even the same um, cause. And the researchers suggested that once someone agrees to that first request, they may become, in their own eyes, the kind of person who does this sort of thing, who agrees to requests made by strangers, who takes action on things they believe in who cooperates with good causes. In other words, psychology tells us that the way you view yourself affects the actions you take subsequently. That paper was subtitled The Foot in the Door Technique, because you can see how people could use this to influence you by getting a foot in the door, making a small request. Maybe you've had this technique used on you by a, a salesperson. Has sin used the foot-in-the-door technique on you to change the way you view yourself? Do you, when you commit a sin, think of yourself as a sinner, as a person who habitually sins? Because if you do, I suspect that will make it harder to resist sin the next time. When you sin, and you will, and I will, I want to encourage you to see that instead as something that is inconsistent with your new identity in Christ. You're not a sinner. If you belong to Christ, you are not in the flesh. If you have his spirit in you, you can please God. You can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And I think that's part of what it means to have a spirit mindset to view ourselves as we really are, dead to sin and alive to righteousness, raised with Christ, new creations. Spirit people have a spirit mindset. Thirdly, spirit people are children of God who kill their old ways. Spirit people are children of God who kill their old ways. Verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Spirit people are children of God. The work of the Spirit in us testifies to that. And if we're children, we're heirs. We will receive resurrection life. I want to be clear that living by the Spirit is not the way you get life. It's the sign that you are on the way to life. I love that trains these days have those displays in the carriages that tell you where you're going and where the train's going to stop. I love it because a couple of times I've got on the wrong train and ended up somewhere that I didn't want to be. This happened to me one time in London. I was traveling from Charing Cross to London Bridge. It's about, it's two small stops, about five minutes. So it's like Town Hall to Redfern, something like that. Um, but as the train approached London Bridge, it didn't stop. It just kept going, and it kept going for another 20 minutes until I was on the outskirts of Kent. So now, when I get on a train, especially if I've run for the train and I didn't quite look at the sign on board, I, I need to look at the indicator to check that the train is going where I think it's going. The sign is not what determines the destination. The destination is determined by the train driver and the signals and so on. But the sign is the indication of where you're heading. And living by the Spirit is the sign that we're heading for eternal life. You could translate verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I don't know about you, but I don't love putting things to death. My house has been sprayed for cockroaches, but every now and then there's a particularly resilient cockroach that doesn't want to die, and it lies there on its back, flailing around, and I find it really hard to put it out of its misery. And it can be like that when it comes to the deeds of the body. By which Paul means the behavior that belongs to our old life in the flesh. Christians can still behave in fleshy ways rather than spiritual ways. I've said that doesn't define us, but we're still very capable of sin. But Paul says spirit people put those things to death. When you become aware that you've sinned, in your actions or in your heart? Is that what you do? Do you put sin to death? Or when you're tempted to sin, do you respond to that temptation by putting it to death? When you find yourself behaving selfishly or lustfully or using deception or manipulation to get what you want, or when the, a brother or sister points out something hurtful you've done or some sin that they've noticed in your life, 
Do you tolerate it or do you kill it? The difference, I think, between a flesh person and a spirit person is that a flesh person says, that's, that's just the way I am. And a spirit person says, that's not who I am and takes steps to change. Living by the Spirit doesn't just mean feeling sorry for our sins, and it doesn't mean just wounding our sins. It means putting them to death. Paul says that is the sign that we're on the way to eternal life. And it means putting them to death by the Spirit. Don't use the wrong fire extinguisher and just arouse your sin even more. Slay the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I think it means, first of all, praying to God for the Spirit's help. Don't try to fight sin in your own strength. Ask God to help you. I think it means having the mindset that in Christ we have been set free from the rule of sin. That sin does not belong in our lives. And saying no to sin. And I think at times when there's a repeated pattern of sin, putting sin to death by the Spirit will mean doing some deep work on your own heart. Maybe with the help of a a friend or a counselor or a pastor. Asking what's prompting that pattern of behavior and then applying the gospel to your heart. It's hard work. It's constant, ongoing work. It's a struggle. The Christian life is a life of constant struggle, as I said last week. But it's a Romans 8 struggle, not a Romans 7 struggle. This morning in God's providence, after I'd already decided to use that cockroach illustration, there was a cockroach in my kitchen (laughs) on its back, flailing around. And having been thinking about these things, I resolved to kill it immediately. And I did this time. (laughs) But I've also found this week that working on this sermon has helped me to kill sin. As I've been reminded again that I can put sin to death by the Spirit. As sinful thoughts have arisen in my heart, I've reminded myself of who I am in Christ. Those things are going to keep coming back and we need to keep killing them. We need a zero tolerance approach to sin. It may be that Some of you in this room, and I think this is important to say, we don't say it often in chapel. Some of you in this room, when you look at that indicator board, may come to the realization that you're on the wrong train. You've realized that you've not been living by the Spirit, not putting to death the deeds of the body. Maybe you've assumed that because you assent to the truth of the gospel, because you're active in ministry, that you're a child of God. Outwardly, you can put on a a good show, but you're not bearing fruit in godliness from the heart. And if that's you, let me urge you to do what I did when I found myself on the wrong train, heading out of London. The first opportunity, as soon as the train stopped, I got off the train, crossed over the footbridge, and I got on a train going in the other direction. If you've been living according to the flesh, that means turning from your sin. Trusting Christ, asking him to give you his Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean trying to fight sin in your own strength, trying to be more righteous in your own ability. It means 
entrusting yourself to Christ and his righteousness. Take hold of those precious promises of free forgiveness and new life in him. Don't be one of those people who knocks on the door of heaven and says, Jesus died for my sin. And to whom Jesus says, I don't know you. Depart from me, evildoers. But for those of you who are actively killing sin by the Spirit, be assured that that is a sign that you are destined for resurrection life. You are children of God and therefore heirs of God. You don't need to fear God's wrath. Spirit people are free from sin's penalty and power. Spirit people have a spirit mindset. Spirit people are children of God who kill their old ways. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for sending your Son to condemn sin in the flesh so that we can be free from condemnation and so that the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to keep living by the Spirit, to have that Spirit mindset, and to keep putting sin to death by the Spirit's power. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope, assurance, peace, life. In Jesus' name, amen.